Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thank you again, as always, so very much for joining us for another week of the Falconry Told Podcast, brought to you in part by Marshall Radio Telemetry, the most carefully engineered and reliable tracking system available. I am John Munyer, and I'm just going to go ahead and apologize to you all in advance here for not getting you an episode last week. Unfortunately, and fortunately both, Israel and I were busy in Great Bend, Kansas, at the NAFA meet, getting lots of new, really good content content for you guys. I am really excited for you all to hear these episodes coming up, but to kind of commemorate the fact that this is also our 25th episode and to make up for the fact that you did not get one from us last week, I'm going ahead and giving you two and one and I'm going to give you all Jenny Buckley and Ann Price. I was very happy and excited to become friends with them and get to hang out with them some while we were at the meet, and I think you all will really enjoy what they have to say, so I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in and present to you all Jenny Buckley and Ann Price. Thank you, and hope you enjoy. And we are rolling, so three, two, one, and it's windy outside because it's Kansas, and I um, had the fortunate pleasure to get hooked up with some of my friends out here, including my new friend, Jenny Buckley, who I'm sitting with in her wonderful um, dog food smelling hotel room. <laughs> it's uh, it, it smells delicious in it's here. ambient. Ambient, that's a good word. Hmm. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing Okay. Aside from your hacking and coughing yeah, allergy. Yeah, it's a little dry here. So whenever you blew your nose this morning, it pretty much looked completely like dusty. Mud. Yeah, like mud. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah it's uh, Allegra comes in handy here for me. <sighs> Didn't and, bring uh, it. And Nasa Court. Yeah, I'm just but, powering uh, through. So everybody totally wanted to start, you know, hearing, um, you know, our allergy issues but yeah. in this podcast. But um, <laughs> Very descriptive. <laughs> but, you know, that's just kind of how we roll. And um, everybody can just deal with it. It's all good. Yeah. So. Um, but anyway, um, so, uh, unfortunately it seems like there's just not been a whole lot of game here this year. Um, no. it's been kind of frustrating for everybody, but it's very frustrating. I'm becoming very intolerable to be around at this point. <laughs> like more so than usual. More so than usual. Like, yeah. Usually it's, it's somewhat tolerable in the realm of intolerability, but, but yeah, this is kind of, um, it's starting to, to reach that threshold, right? It really is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think that most of your friends would probably agree, and you know, we won't name them. They will um, all agree that I'm yeah. intolerable. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. So we start off by uh, you know, just kind of how we usually start most of these episodes off. You know, how did you, uh, how did you get the, the falconry spark? <laughs> well, um, there was a period of time in my early 20s where I was jaded enough to want to become a veterinarian. <laughs> and at that time, I hated birds, like mm -hmm hated them wow that sounds um, really familiar my wife still abhors them but anyway yeah so she's not a falconer <laughs> oh no 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 no, no. so mm -hmm. i wanted to go and learn about birds and maybe grow an appreciation for them so i started off like a like some people do and in, in the, the realm of education with raptors and uh the curator at the place that i did some volunteer work at um her name's ann price she is a falconer and she took me out a couple of times with her and it just kind of 
sparked something in me where it was like, oh my God, this, this is a thing we can, we can do this with birds. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, went through that whole rigorous process of getting my license and here we are. Cool. In so, a hotel room. So, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's the ultimate goal, um, <laughs> with, with everybody's falconry careers is just to end up talking to some dude and there's a couple microphones in a hotel room, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah or a conference room or wherever. Yeah. So we're about where in the about whereabouts in the country were you, uh, or were you still in Colorado at the time? Or yep, were Colorado forever. The whole, whole time? Yep. Okay. And what what area of Colorado do you live in? I live just southeast of Denver. Okay. So um, pretty pretty much right on the, the border of a lot of Plains area. So mm-hmm. um, although I did start with a Kestrel, mm-hmm. so flew mostly dairies. Hmm. Interesting. So, so you took the more unconventional beginner's path. I did. And, you know went for, for, for the, the red tail path was was foregone for you exactly yeah, yeah i didn't okay. i didn't actually fly a red tail um i believe my red tail was the seventh bird that i had mm-hmm. i flew a pile of kestrels before that so well i mean i there's there's a lot of different i know there's a lot of different outlooks on that and after having flown a couple now i personally would still advocate for red tail being the first bird just simply because the weight management you know learning that stuff but but if you if you have someone that's really experienced and you know would be a good mentor i wouldn't be against it though i mean what are are your thoughts on that just i mean having started with that well so i didn't i I wasn't crazy successful with kestrels Mm -hmm. um i don't know why i tried it four more times after that first one because I, I, I really only enjoyed two of those five kestrels that I ever flew, and mm. it is difficult. And for me, the difficulty wasn't really in the weight management of them. It was finding slips and setting up good slips for them, mm-hmm. which, yeah, that can be a challenge, especially like in most states where car hawking isn't legal or if you're mm-hmm. just not interested in doing car hawking, then you have to find the perfect thing, which that's difficult for apprentices to do, especially if you're... Um, kind of self-taught and sure. trying to learn it all by yourself. It would be extremely difficult to start off with such a small bird and be mostly self-taught. I mean, yes. it, it, you're almost dooming yourself to instant failure. Yes. Yeah. I would agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's hard enough for, for an apprentice um, starting off and trying to teach themselves to even really learn the, just what goes behind finding fields and, mm-hmm. you know, finding where, you know, the game's at. Unless you're just blessed with a lot of, um, you know, those those agricultural areas that that have just a lot of English sparrows or, you know, the the easier starling slips, which which unless you're you are car hawking with with a kestrel, there's not really, in my opinion, such a thing as easy starling slips. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just it would. Yeah, I can understand where that would be a very monumental task that yeah. would be very difficult so you said out of the five that you've flown there was only two that you liked I, did i remember you saying like yesterday or the day before that one was a male one was a female that yes. you yeah so go go into that a little bit then well so i don't let's see the third kestrel i flew was a was a second year female okay and she was just a lot of fun she she really liked to tail chase sparrows, which, you know, for a kestrel, a tail chase isn't that far, so it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But she, she was very maneuverable, really, really went for it. Unfortunately, she was lost. I had 
the trifecta of failures happened with me. She had telemetry failure, bad weather rolled in, and then there was two wild kestrels in the neighborhood that I think kind of chased her off. So that's exactly what happened with my first one too. Uh, and sad. see, I, I'm I'm just I'm one of those people that I just don't fly my I just don't fly kestrels with telemetry yeah. just because you know I always make sure that they're a decent weight that if they do get lost, you know they you know they're not gonna you know, go hungry or whatever when they yeah. go back out to the wild. And my viewpoint on that was was just flying with as minimal equipment as possible so that it'll they'll be able to get it off anyway. And then if they if you lose them, you know not uh, a big deal. Yeah, it's not a huge deal. But yeah. I, I just don't like flying with a bunch of extra stuff on, on Kestrels personally. Yeah. But but yeah that 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 is a bummer though, whenever you just have that uh, well like you said, the trifecta of just just crap. It, yeah. It's it sucks. Now I uh yeah I mean but I had I had some I don't know if you ever heard my story my first Kestrel or not but like the the how I ended up losing my first one um which was a hag honestly she was um an adult um but I had flown her for a while I was recalling her um to the glove and a cooper's hawk just swooped out and um literally about maybe two or three inches from my glove she was about to land on it I looked down at my dash and then looked back up and felt a wind gust and oh she was God. gone. And I heard the chittering, you know, like the fear chittering, you know, yeah. from the kestrel and looked over and I just saw coop feathers just, you know, it was a male. Luckily, he couldn't, you know, lift back off fully with her. Right. So I, I went over and was able to scare it off and get her back. And then later that afternoon, I was trying more slips with her again because I was trying to get her over the, you know, which that was dumb and I should have just called it a day. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, I was recalling her and another wild kestrel came out of nowhere, chased her off and never saw her again. Oh, my gosh. On the same day. So, yeah, those wild kestrels. Yeah. They're they're, they're tenacious. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're very brutal. I mean, I that prairie that I was flying early when I was droning him one day, there was one that was that just came in and was messing with my, with my prairie one day. I'm just like, you, yeah, they're, they're, they're. <laughs> they're 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 a little too uh tenacious for their own good I yes think. Yeah. yes and but, it's no uh, matter what you fly they're gonna come yeah. out of the woodwork they're gonna right. find you exactly well especially if you fly around wooded areas where you know there's coops and everything else you just you just never know but yeah so you know the you said the trifecta happened and so that was that was the female right? yeah and that was a bummer because she was just right on that cusp of becoming a really good falconry bird mm -hmm. and then just gone yep yeah. yeah, I I had I had reached 50, 50 birds with with her right before I lost you know that bird also so I I, yeah. I feel you but so you get it <laughs> yeah yeah totally so um so it was primarily um English sparrows and in those types of areas is, is primarily what you're trying to do with yeah. that bird yeah yeah um so was it the same for this for the other bird then or? so this male I actually was transferred um to by another falconer and she or sorry he. Um, he was a really good bird right out the gate, and I was trying to be really ambitious and take my kid out into the field with me and, you know, a backpack. And I'm not a big female, so it's really hard to carry other humans on me as I'm trying to hunt at the same time and, you know, climb fences and all of that. So that was a little bit of a challenge. But this I can't part, imagine why that would be. You know, most people have a, <laughs> have a hard time getting through barbed wire fences anyway. But, yeah, put a kid on your back, it becomes even... Well, now I understand why. You, and I understand why you said you like uh, you like working out your legs more than anything exactly. else. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Just so I can lift people. Yeah, maybe you should start factoring your back more into those routines. Oh right? yeah, probably. <laughs> probably should just in general. It's good yeah. advice. So you're so you're lugging your kid through the field with this small kestrel, and yeah. then which, which trifecta happened this time? You know, nothing really bad ended up happening. I just decided 
but maybe kestrels just aren't for me (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) took me took me a while to figure that one out but yeah so i figured that one out and then um after that kestrel is when i got my harris and that's that's where i've been since then well you know (laughs) it's so funny because i hunt with you know hardcore occipiter guys especially goshawks you know goshawk guys almost every weekend and um I can literally hear their gears start to grind, you know, as they're list if they listen to the you know episodes where I start promoting Harris Hawks over over <laughs> Goss Hawks. Um, but I agree. I mean, I've I've had a lot of fun with Harris Hawks too, and and it's just hard to it's hard to match the the versatility of a, of a small male, especially. Yeah. You know, you can just do so many different things with them. Yeah. Without all of the the drama that sometimes goes into you know exhibitors, so. So you get the so you get the Harris. Where did you get the Harris from? Uh, he was bred by Dan Pike. Okay. And I got him in 2015, and yeah, he's just been he's been a really great staple so far. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've flown him for this is his. Oh my gosh, I can't do the math. Maybe fourth season, fifth season, something okay. like that. Um, I'm not gonna fly just a single male Har- Harris forever, but it, it works right now. So you've never done the cast deal? Um, I tried. I. Um, I got a female transfer from somebody else a couple years ago, and you know sometimes I think that Harris Hawks just can't be transferred. They 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 fit their niche and you right know, yeah. yeah well and and they become so the the behaviors they learn so early become so yeah. ingrained in them yeah. later. And then I agree. I want to do something different, and they don't want to do something different. Right, so. right. No, I agree. Um, they're very smart. Mm-hmm. They're so smart. And if you don't do it right early on, or if they get some bad habits from someone else earlier, it's very hard to deal with that. Exactly. I, w- I, w- I would agree. Um, but you know, like I said, so so the bird you're talking about is 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 your current one, Rufio. Yeah. Right? Okay. Cool. Yeah, so, I mean, my sponsor was a big Harris Hawk guy, which is kind of a reason why we initially got along, you know, so well initially. See, he, he's a huge Harris Hawk guy, so he flew a cast for a bit, and um, I thought it was always really cool how, you know, they learned um, almost instantly. I mean, if, if the birds decide that they're going to be compatible with each other, yeah, you know, how they, how they leapfrog each other and, and just kind of, you know, work a field together kind of so naturally right and I, I would say that that was kind of one of the the things that I saw initially that made me kind of want to try Harris and I didn't want to do another red tail again from, yeah. for my second year of, of apprenticeship um, I like red tails but it is you know it's, it's kind of boring kind to of want me. to do something different yeah yeah, yeah I mean I, I I love watching um red tails on squirrels I, I think I don't think that's boring at all but yeah. I mean the overall just the normal you know i it's kind of like what another buddy of mine uh well my buddy joe um you know it's he's right too but he always said that if if red tails were hard to come by everybody would want them yeah exactly. because because they're like kind of the ultimate u.s you know hawking bird right. but but still it's just i don't know i just want something different so we're allowed to have chamber raised, you know, captive bred. Yeah. Um, well, not even necessarily chambers, but just captive bred Harris's for a second year in Indiana. So, oh, okay. So that after after seeing his birds fly in a cast, he decided to go ahead and, and breed them. And, uh, you know, I, that was my first Harris that I, that I flew from from his propagation project. So, um, 
but kind of seeing where all these different Harrises come from, you know, there's obviously you have like the Colsons and, you know, a, a couple other yeah. main people, but it's kind of interesting, I think, seeing how different Harrises act from different breeding projects too. Have Agreed. you ever, have you ever noticed that too? I have just, you know, just because you can put two Harrises together and make little Harris babies does not mean that yeah. you're going to get what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, the genetics I think in Harrises are, almost as important as even some of the genetics with with some of the long wings and mm -hmm. and some of the different uh yeah i mean it genetics play a very important role i agree i, think. Um, I agree because you can very easily come out with just a hellaciously um <laughs> yeah. crazy harris just a I, totally oh, crippled harris oh, yeah yeah that's and that's it, why that you know, these names of big Harris breeders, that's why they're big names because mm -hmm. they're producing. They figured it out. Yeah. They figured it out. Yeah. yeah. And they keep, they keep almost, um, you know, overly obsessive track of their genealogy yeah. in between their birds and stuff, yeah. which Just look at the database, <laughs> which I, exactly. I mean, I think it's admirable that someone can, can be that obsessive compulsive. I agree. Cause I mean, I do have OCD aspects to me. Like I think a lot of people do, but but uh but that's <laughs> that would take a lot that's a of different work. podcast oh man it would be it would be it would take another several hours to discuss but yeah. so is there any i mean you you also run with the dachshund yes is there any other dog or that you would prefer to maybe try in the future or do you still just want to always run with the dachshund i would consider getting another dachshund yeah. i really really like them they're yeah. just yeah, they're they're great at home. They're great in the field. But, you know, I haven't really given much thought to other dogs at this point. So yeah. I'm just really happy that my Harris accepted this one because he's he's a little finicky. Yeah, well, you know, as as anybody has ever had experience with Harris's to any degree whatsoever knows they can they can well they can kind of be prone to to, <laughs> to, to not liking dogs sometimes. Yeah. So and cats and yeah and other small and animals wind. yeah and wind and just you know, anything, <laughs> anything yeah. if, if 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 that's just the way that they're wired but um well yeah i mean i uh, like i was telling you yesterday if if i, if I kind of would have had if i had it to do things over again a dachshund probably would have been um the route that i probably would have gone simply because rabbits are so abundant where where i'm at also but yeah so as far as is where you're at in, in in colorado what else is is the primary source of game around where you're at pretty much cottontails yeah just yeah that. we've we've tried to do birds he gets a little birdie sometimes mm -hmm. um like yesterday he went after that covey of quail and right oh my gosh he came so close mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's tough yeah i mean it's uh i always kind of when i went the brief brief period of time that, that i had those harrises i always kind of wanted to maybe try crows with them too because mm, i know be there's been some people that have had a lot of fun doing that yeah. but i honestly don't know much about it but I thought of all the, if you're going to try birds, you know, I mean, obviously you're not fast enough to do like pigeons or right. you know, stuff like that probably, but, um, but I always thought the crow deal would be cool. It would be but, cool. Yeah. My bird has tried to pick fights with ravens before and yeah. we've, we've, I've had to have a talk with him. That that's, that's <laughs> not okay. <laughs> yeah. They can get a little brutal. Yeah. Um, but so out of curiosity then what, what's kind of the, is, is, is it always going to be Harris's or what, what? Is there anything kind of that just that little inkling in the back of your mind that's it's kind of saying that you need to try something else at some yeah. point? Or I mean what's what's gonna be the 
the kind of the next thing you think you might try? Well, okay, so I come off really strong that I'm really big into Harris's. And honestly, I don't even know that I really like Harris Hawks as a whole. Mm. I like the one that I'm flying right now. Right. But I think next, you know, if I can really wrap my head around it, is uh, I would love to do an imprint Sharpie. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's always been, yeah, the back of my mind that yeah. you got to try this, you got to try this. And yeah, it's the, the nest hunting aspect for them is very challenging. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially in Colorado. We just, yeah, I, I just don't think we have the numbers there. So I think I would have to travel out for one. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we um, there, there, there's, a, there's a lot of places in, uh, in Indiana where you can find them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I don't know how much longer that's going to be because our state DNR has decided to approve a lot of those in quote unquote invasive, you know, uh, uh, pine trees to be cleared out at some Mm -hmm. point. Um, don't even get me started into all the decisions that go behind that. I don't really, I I don't live in that world, but I, so is this your way of telling me that I need to do this like now? Well, I mean, (laughs) it just depends on where you want to go to find one, (laughs) but you know, it's, uh, I've I've flown a couple different sharpies and you know I've had you know some trifectas involved with them yeah. as well but um, the last one that I flew um, a friend transferred to me and and I, I caught you know about a dozen sparrows and a couple few starlings with them before he got um, he must have got an abrasion or a scrape that I didn't see on his on his feet mm-hmm. whatever because like he um he went really fast into um some uh some pallets by the time i saw it it was over the weekend Mm. and he developed really bad bumble foot and like the one foot especially and he was compensating with the other foot you know so he just started developing it in that one also by the time i could get him into the vet it started swelling it swelled so bad that you know i I tried to treat it and uh and it just didn't take so i had to euthanize him unfortunately but he was a fun bird um for sure i mean the only thing i i mean my short experience with, with Sharpies and I'm sure there's plenty of other guys that could, you know, tell you lots of different things more so than me, but, um, they're really fun birds. Yeah. Uh, they they really hearing. are, but I've never held, had a bird before that's found. So tried to find so many different ways to, to kill itself. <laughs> I mean, you know, they'll just, you, you, you could be a parking lot away from like a McDonald's and that thing would, would like try to fly into a giant McDonald's window. Just, oh and, I mean, it's, it's just, I'm sure there's a lot of guys probably going like nodding their head, like right now. And there's a lot of guys probably just going, wow, that was kind of dumb. So but it's anyway. like basically having another child. <laughs> it, it's, it's almost worse. Oh, good. It's, yeah. It's like a, a small, um, very tunnel visioned, um, willful child yes oh, i guess you're totally selling me on this i'm excited <laughs> now well and i mean there's there's some guys i know um i know guys like mcdermott and some of the other you know bigger exhibitor guys have found ways to um keep them alive for for more i mean a lot of those guys are, are, the, are the guys that, that don't really car hawk with them so much they do a lot more field hawking with them yeah and me personally and like i said um there's probably a lot better people that could um, have more of a, of a better opinion than me, probably just from what, I, what I've seen with people that have flown them successfully and just flying them myself. Field hawking is really where is is really where um, sharpshins shine the most. Yeah, uh, it's and th- it's the most fun to watch, especially if you're 
you know, if you accidentally, you know, kick up a, a lark or, sure. or something like that, you know, and they, I mean, some of those flights are really fun to watch. Yeah. They're, they're fun little birds. They really are. I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely would not try and dissuade you whatsoever from getting a Sharpie, <laughs> but you know, me being kind of more of a Falcon personality guy anyway, I just like Kestrels better, yeah. but you know, you know, I, I would I think you should try one. Typical Falcon guy telling yeah, me that Falcons are best. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not really, but I'm sorry. Um, but no, I, I think you would have fun with them. Yeah. Um, but uh, do you think you would prefer a, a musket over, or what, what do you think you would you would like better? You know, I haven't actually thought it that far through well, yet. Well, you should start. I should start. You really yeah. should. Yeah. Um, I need to talk to some more people first. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't I the the musket that i flew um you you you'll probably hear some guys trying to argue you know the females over the males for sure but the um the the male that i flew um didn't have any trouble with starlings at all i mean he was able to roll them over and pin them down uh-huh. and and handle them super easy and i was flying him in the low to mid 80s Oh, wow. Okay. Grams. I mean, like, their, their legs are just so long. Yeah. You know, it's... It's just like little toothpicks. Oh, it's... It, they're <laughs> they're fragile little legs, yeah. for sure, but but they know how to use them. Yeah. And, you know, like, pinning... Like, watching uh, watching him pin some of those starlings down was just really fun to watch because they would be trying to just do their best to just, just pluck his eyes out, you know, just, <laughs> and, and they couldn't reach him. Yeah. Because he was able so to see... Long yeah, legs. Yeah, his long legs just pinning them down, you know, and... and but, um... There's unless unless you're wanting to fly quail and stuff like that. I mean, I yeah. I think that you know either or would be would be pretty fun. Yeah, for which you. we have quail in Colorado, but nowhere close to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, like like we were talking about, they're they're like unicorns where we're at now. Right. I mean, they're they're used. To, it's like anywhere else. I mean, there used to be a, a lot, an abundance of quail and lots of other things where I live. But I mean, just habit habitat loss, just like yeah. anything else, just is hard to find. Yeah. So, so all right. Well, I mean, sharp shins. So you're going to pull one next year, right? Yeah, I guess. I guess I, guess I am now. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, uh, I mean, what else? Anything else other than other than the sharp shins? I haven't really thought about it that much. I mean, what do, what do you think about micros in general? I mean, you started off with micros, right. so, you know, it's... I guess it depends on what it is. Um, yeah. I've flown enough Kestrels at this point that um, I can say that I don't want to do it again. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm not a Kestrel person. They're... They're cute, they're fun, but that's just not for me anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, Merlins were on my bucket list for a little while there. Um, Still on mine. Yeah, yeah, I kind of fell off on mine a little bit. Probably come back eventually. Yeah. Well, I, I keep having little circumstances pop up that that kind of steer me away, you know, temporarily from from doing them. Like, yeah. Like before, I I got this this um, hybrid Falcon, you know, that that I have now. Um, my plan while I was here this week, you know, was, was to try and trap one. And then mm-hmm. I got that bird and I was just like, I just, you just like, don't be stupid. You don't have the time for it right now. Well, if you do and trap one this week, I've seen them everywhere. So, I mean, well, I've been seeing them everywhere. Yeah. I've been seeing them a lot too. And yeah. it's just, I, I didn't even bother trying to trap any bait to bring with me, yeah. you know, just because I knew that I just wasn't going to have, well, I just wasn't going to have time. And, yeah. and, um, that the Merlin Merlins are, 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 or the next big bird for me, I think, mm-hmm. um, whenever it's, it's just, I decide just to, you know, <laughs> that, I, that, I, that I can do it. And, um, I, I want it to be a situation where I can devote as much time to make that successful as I can. So, which 
like I said, I think there's um, a lot of people that sometimes just get, you know, that, that, uh, <laughs> is they're impulsive. Is, yeah. Well, a friend of mine made the, the analogy of, you know, it's just like when he started his falconry career, he's kind of like wanted to treat it almost like Pokemon, got to catch them all. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's like, you got, got to fly them all, you know, yeah. just want to, just want to fly everything. And just because and you can, doesn't mean you should. Right. Exactly. So, but, uh, anyway, so yeah, that's, that's probably one of the next things for me also, but, um, what are you still doing outside of falconry? I mean, are you still kind of doing the veterinary type stuff or what do you, did you go away from that? I kind of went away from that. Um, yeah, that the whole industry just kind of jaded me as far as, you know, animal care goes, especially when you have to do it with other people, like clients are not great to be around. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I had my first child about eight years ago and um, I've been a stay-at-home mom ever since, so it's been great for falconry, especially now that both my children are in school full-time, Yeah, <laughs> and I'm still a stay-at-home mom, Right. Um, but I did go back to school, so um, yeah, basically I'm, I'm working towards getting my master's eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing my second BA right now. I'm so then, sorry. I know. <laughs> I know. I actually like school now. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, it's a little different now. Uh. Um, I always say it's easier when you're more of an adultier adult. You're mm-hmm. a little more into it. Um, yeah, so I'm doing that right now. Uh, so I, I just I have a lot of time to fly, so it's been really nice. Um, right now is probably when I should be flying another bird, but I just I have such a good thing going right now that I just kind of don't want to mess with it too much. Well, the most important thing is that you're having fun, yeah. and if you don't want to ruin that, yeah. I, well, I mean, how dare you? For, first of all, how dare you for not wanting to ruin that? I know. Be miserable sometimes like the rest of us. Yeah, you know, you're but, not banging your head against the wall. You're not doing yeah. real falconry, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, like I have all the time in the world to fly birds, even though I'm in the middle of about 20 different things like and have about 100 different irons in the fire at sure. all times. But, I mean, I work night shift, and... I just stay sleep deprived constantly. So that's my solution to everything. Um, That'll work out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's worked out amazingly so far. (laughs) Um, You know, but, uh, but you know, I mean, it's as long, I think people lose sight of that a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the most important thing is just to not get so wrapped up in what you, what you think mentally is going to be the next idealistic thing. Right. um, And just simply have fun. You know, I mean, there was, there was right after my prairie died, a few weeks ago, um, I, I went through a, a very short phase where I thought, you know, I don't know, is this, you might as well just trap you a stupid red tail and just, <laughs> and just, you know, kind of, <laughs> just kind of coast through the rest of the season, and just throw in the towel and wait until something better happens next year. But I don't know. Like, I, I guess you just, there's never really a, um, an ideal time for anything. It's just kind of like people say about like having kids and stuff like right. that. I mean, there's no perfect time or a, um, a perfect setting or right. perfect anything to be able to, to do the next thing. Yeah. And you just kind of have to make it happen and will it, will it to happen, you know, if you're going to do it. So, yeah. But I mean, the cool thing is though, is you have an established Harris, you have an established dog. There's not really much teaching. I can totally understand why you wouldn't want to screw that up. Right. You know, well, and it's really important to me also to just be available to my family. I'm not one of those people that's going to blow off my family for the yeah. entire season. So, 
again, how dare you? I know. I'm so selfish. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are. <laughs> I mean, do you, well, do your kids like coming out in the field with you at all yet? They or? do. Um, my eight-year-old is better about it. My six-year-old, she, she's got little legs. She gets bored. She yeah. gets poked with yucca. She doesn't like it that much. So yeah. um, they pretend <laughs> like they do for about... I get a I get a good solid half an hour out of them before they start complaining. So. Well, that's that's um, a good twenty nine minutes and like fifty seconds longer than my eleven year old. <laughs> so I mean, his, you know, my my eleven year old is is just in that stage right now where you know I'm I I think that he would rather just have nothing to do with me and just play Fortnite all the time. Oh so, yeah, that's yeah. the age. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, yeah. I, I remember taking uh, taking him out in the field when he was. Oh, I don't know, he was probably, well, I was flying my first bird. It was 2015, so he was probably six or seven mm-hmm. at, at this point. And, and my, my buddy Mark, one of his favorite stories about going out in the field with my kid was um, we, it was kind of a warmer day, and we were flying my red tail around this, this um, kind of industrial area or whatever, but there was this pond or whatever. And we got back around this little pond, and we were kind of getting back to the uh, – the road to kind of walk back to the truck and he just <laughs> mark's standing there and 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 my kid looks up at me and just goes dad i'm dehydrated and i'm hot and i want air conditioning and i want to go back to the truck and mark just looked at him just started laughing it was is he still talks about that being is like one of his favorite <laughs> he, he, he thought that my kid was so hilarious after that and he's just like he's like what six or seven year old talks like that right. he's just like dad i'm dehydrated, I'm, dehydrated. I'm, I'm overheated and i want to go back to the car you know so it's it's fun like i don't really have too many experiences yet with unfortunately like, he he's gone hunting with me a few times right. and did your kids ever really struggle with the whole um, putting the game down thing or did no actually my kids are really really good about that um so i just kind of kept kept things as usual around mm. them so like i will butcher a rabbit on my kitchen counter and they'll come up and ask me what i'm doing and ask if they can touch it and I, they, they've actually like pet its little fuzzy head <laughs> as i like cut the legs <laughs> off in the back and they're really good about it. The only thing they've asked me is to not kill the rabbit in our yard because they think it's really cute. But other other than that, they're totally cool with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was kind of funny because um, my kid for the longest time had this idealistic version of, of everything. You know, he's uh, he didn't really want to come out um, on hunts or anything because he's like, Dad, why would I want to go out with you in the field and watch you kill all these innocent little animals and stuff. And I'm like, well, son, it's nature. It happens every day, whether right. you like it or not. That that red-tailed hawk is going to go after that bunny every day, no matter whether you like it or not. Right. So I got him to finally come out in the field with me one time. And um, one of the most funny 180-degree um, like flips in personality that I've ever witnessed in my kids so far was like, I caught a rabbit with my first red tail. And um, I'm getting ready to dispatch it. And um, my kid comes up behind me and really quietly and just kind of looks at me and goes, is it going to pluck its eyes out? <laughs> it's like, when's it going to pluck its eyes out? And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> what do you think like, happens out <laughs> I here? Just, I was just like, I was just like, what happened to like my, my nature loving, you know, fun, like, um, just, just not wanting to, to, to kill a little bunny, you know, kid. Like yeah. he's, he's just like, well, when's it going to pluck its eyes out? You know, just kind of waiting to like see this happen. You know, I'm just like, who are you still my child? Like, <laughs> but it, it's, it's funny seeing, um, 
I always like talking to other people that is, is that, that have kids consistently in the field with them because yeah. I don't get to do that. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird because they either want to do it or they don't. Right. You know, like falconers have kids that are either ruined on it like instantly yeah. or they instantly take to it and then they become, you know, falconers eventually themselves. Yeah. I didn't know if either of your kids were, would, would eventually kind of go to the dark side or not. Or they if might, you know, but right now when I take them out, I kind of have to make a a game out of it with them because you know they're little kids they get bored you right. know, i get bored if i'm not flushing stuff so like like yesterday right like yesterday yeah <laughs> i got a little intense didn't yeah, i <laughs> yeah 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 everybody's like you know sitting around and you know i've already cracked open the beers and everything and you're out there Give, giving you guys evil side eye yeah yeah <laughs> what are you guys doing yeah and I, I eventually picked up on it and all your friends abandoned you but i didn't they just did. gonna throw that out there again yeah. you are a true friend thank yeah. you <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So, what exactly are you wanting to do with the masters? Um, I kind of just want to teach a little bit. I know that sounds really flighty, but uh, I I really just want to go and just kind of do adjunct teaching, like just staff, like like yeah, just um, yeah, like substitute type stuff, yeah, or like, or, a, or like you know that that side class college professor deal, where, exactly. You know, you know, the kids need the remedial English class or whatever to fill their, <laughs> to fill their teach core curriculum. English. <laughs> but yeah, basically, basically that I'm in a unique position right now where, um, it's more, I'm looking for something that's more fulfilling than needing to bring in income. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it, it'll just be more fulfilling for me and then mm-hmm. keep my schedule pretty open so I can still be there for my kids. So I can still go out and hunt and right. Yeah. yeah well, I just I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around why you would want to ruin just having this open schedule. I know, <laughs> I know. Just, I just get bored and I just need to use my my brain. Yeah. I guess. Well, yeah. I <laughs> guess there's some people that need to feel that way. I, sometimes I wish I could use my brain less, like a lot I less. Know. And I'm yeah, sure but, anybody listening to this is going to be like, no, just go hunting all day yeah. long. Just do that. They're starting to get like really frustrated at hearing this. They're like, wait <laughs> a second. Like I can only hunt on the weekends because I hunt a, I work a nine to five and you get to hunt whenever you want. And you want to ruin that. And you want to ruin it. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, we'll I guess, see how long that goes for though. Yeah. Maybe I'll get bored with that too. Well, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. Like there, there's, there's so many different things that I think I end up wanting to do that sometimes it just works out that I don't. And afterwards I'm glad that it it worked out that way. But I don't know. Like I still do the music stuff on the side and everything too. And then, you know, now that I'm doing this podcasting, I, I can't really think of anything else right now that I would want to force on myself. Right. So what's been that defining head of game that you've taken so far probably my first jackrabbit mm-hmm. and it was taken with this male that i fly he flies at about 620 grams and i was out hunting with a friend of mine deanna curtis and we were hunting we were out in the field hunting jackrabbits and i you know i, I brought my mail out not expecting much because it's a 620 gram solo male sure and uh jack flushed and he went after it and i stood still i didn't do anything because i didn't expect anything to happen mistake number one yeah mistake number one (laughs) and he slammed into that jackrabbit and i stood still and i like i my mind could not wrap around this that quickly and i just stood there and i said oh my god what do i do (laughs) 
And luckily, Deanna was there because she grabbed a hold of that jackrabbit and took care of it for me. And as I stood there, right, you're still it was like pretty ridiculous. hanging there with your mouth open and everything. Exactly. And... So then after that, I did start running, and um, <laughs> I became hyper aware of the fact that my brain and my legs they're not in sync with each other. So my legs move a lot faster than I'm consciously aware of. So I took a lot of spills. Also, I trip a lot. I fall a lot. Um, so luckily Deanna was in the field with me for that second Jack and mm. she got there before I did because I was face down on the ground. <laughs> this, there's, there's a lot of those stories though. Oh yeah. I'm really graceful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I get there's injured a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's been, I've, I know that there's stories existing of multiple falconers, um, chasing after, well, I'm not going to name any names or anything, man, but, but I, but I know, you know, well. You know, some close friends of mine have actually run into each other before, you know, oh, trying God. to get to the jackrabbit, just colliding to each other and then falling on the ground. And then they're like army crawling on their bellies trying to get the jack and just to see it get away, just enough time for them to get there and oh, stuff, yeah. you know. So that stuff happens. And, you know, I mean, I remember the first time that, that I flushed a jack also with that first Harris that I flew it was kind of the same thing. I stood there for a second. I forgot that I was supposed to run because right. trust me, I got coached and, you know, I, I got, you know, I got the full, just the, the, the full rundown of what's supposed to happen right. uh, beforehand. But there was like a delay, kind of like the same thing. And they're like, run, <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're just, oh, shoot, yeah. and I was just like, Oh, oh right. I was like, I was like, okay. Yeah. So I started running and, um, you know, it ended up juking her and, and, um, getting away. But like, I just remember um, being about 15 yards ahead from the initial start of the run and thinking, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I am so not in the right shape for this. Right. And, you know, every year that I come back to Kansas, I always keep thinking about how I'm going to develop this, like, you know, modified training regimen. Like, somehow it's going to magically help me just right. to start getting into shape, like, two two weeks to a month beforehand. And, and uh yeah it never happens yeah i always end up you know pulling borderline pulling a hamstring and and uh and able to you know cramp calf muscles and stuff <laughs> like every time because all of, all of my friends for the most part that i hunt with you know they're there's just there's no running this is not this is not gonna oh happen yeah. and um and so yeah it's uh they i, I think that I, I don't know what's gonna happen to them whenever there's still a moderately middle-aged person that's gonna whenever those people get old also that sounds really um, bleak i well for them it will be um you know i i'm hoping that by then um we'll have basically taken on at least one or two more younger apprentices in our group by that time just so we can use and abuse them this and is make why them you get apprentices yeah just to run in there but but i've also you know had um had other fun instances before too with not with the harris but with some goshawks you know running in there and making sure you you know you secure that that first jack for that goss and next yeah. thing you know you know you've got um you know sets of talons and multiple hands and stuff <laughs> the bird's not even holding on to the jack anymore you've got a forearm on the jack and you're using the other hand trying to dig talons out of two different <laughs> sets of hands and luckily you don't have to worry about that with harris's so much yeah but, uh, but i did like last year whenever we were here though 
uh, my buddy Greg, you know, was was flying um, both of his Harris's off a of T-perch on a Jax. And that was really cool to watch them tandem hunting on Jax also. I thought it was just as much fun, if not more fun, than watching them tandem hunting out of trees because yeah. they just keep coming back to the pole perch and then both launching off of there as soon as... Um, I mean, I think that's still the best way to hunt Harris's if you're going to hunt them on Jacks. I, you know, I have to agree. I know there's a lot of naysayers as far as tea perches go. Why? I, I, I'm not I don't, sure. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. You know, I don't, I don't get that all that, all the mentality with that though. Right. I mean, I mean it's no different the, than a tree. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and like you, the whole purpose of falconry is to set up your bird for the most advantageous way for them to catch game. Right. So why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? you? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. If, if they'll do it, which well, and especially for jacks too. I mean, and for even if it's two birds, they're there's they're a lot smaller than jackrabbits are, and if yeah. you can give them just that little bit of a, an advantage, it's not even that much of an advantage. It's like four extra feet higher, so right. it's not not that big of a deal, right? And if it, I mean, and that's really only a, a major advantage, if you could even say major, if the jack flushes like less than 10 yards in front of exactly. you exactly i mean if it's flushes like 30 or 40 yards Doesn't in front matter. of you i mean what what i mean I don't yeah. know, whatever but i mean i've caught i've caught jacks off the glove with harris's and and on the t-perch yeah but i mean it's it, if nothing else it's extra work for you <laughs> you have to carry a t-perch around it is with, extra with work a couple of you know a couple of birds on it but i mean i still think that it's i know there's people out there that that dog on it or whatever but i'm just like I, it's I just the new thing to complain about. There's yeah. always got to be something, you know? Oh, well, yeah, I forgot. I yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> it's falconry. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, this we got a, got a bandwagon onto something. So. Yeah. Where did you catch that jack at? Was it? Um, so I've caught, so he's caught three jacks, and they were all somewhere east of Denver, and then one was, actually, the other one was way east of Denver. So east. Okay. Yeah. So you you don't you don't have to come near as far as I do to to get into jackrabbits. No. Yeah. Yeah, you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's still a little bit of a drive, so. Um. Not not twelve hours though. No, it's that's that's a little that's a little extreme, but no, maybe like an hour. Well, that's uh, yeah, an hour's not bad at all. No. I mean, there's some spots that I go to hunt in that's just an hour just to hunt. You know. It's, normal cottontails and he's just just normal hunting spot it's rough it's time but, to move yeah well yeah i'll i'll um get right on that yeah we had that conversation already <laughs> but um but yeah no i mean it's um there's nothing like the first jack i will agree yeah. for sure so what's your favorite um dachshund hunt experience then um i would have to say so my my dachshund he's a really good boy mm-hmm. but he's not as brave as i've seen others to be like he he's i think he gets a little scared going into tunnels Mm. and the ground and everything so honestly my favorite with him was um a couple weeks ago he went into his first little tunnel and i didn't i I thought there was a rabbit in there because i thought i saw my bird chase one in there um but i wasn't for sure but he went in and i heard a little bit of a scuffle in there and but like no sounds and mm. he's he's kind of vocal about things so that maybe maybe it's not in there he just reversed out of it and he was holding the rabbit and just pulled it out Oops. with him and <laughs> i was so proud so yeah that's my favorite dachshund moment did you, but did you have a bird above him at the time yeah and 
I don't I don't know what was going through my bird's brain, but he just kind of watched it all unfold. <laughs> didn't didn't Dude. really act on it. Yeah. Was just maybe confused by what he saw. But really, my favorite dachshund falconry moment was just when my dog flushed his first rabbit for my bird. My bird caught it and actually held on to it because. You know, as we were talking earlier, my bird has some issues with dogs, mm. and the first several catches he made with my dog, he would let go of. Uh, because he didn't want the dog coming in. Yeah. So, so if you saw me mad yesterday, I was really <laughs> mad when that happened. <laughs> but, yeah, so I appreciate you taking the uh, the time. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, an hour of this day that you weren't going to be doing anything else better anyway. Right, with the wind howling outside <laughs> in my hotel room that smells like dog food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's been an amazing vibe for, for this <laughs> yeah. for this podcast. So. Yeah. Um, anyway, so thanks, and um, Thank I'm sure you. we will go and, and have a – have some grub and maybe a, a beer or two here in a little bit. So, or two, um, yeah, or five. three, five, whatever. <laughs> Hang out and chill. But uh, yeah. anyway, um, thank you again, and uh, we will talk again soon. I'm sure. All right, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed the first part of this special two-part episode this week. Just wanted to interject real quick and remind everyone that if you would prefer to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., and haven't started doing that. We have been available for a couple of episodes now on those platforms, so if you want to go check that out, please do. If you would also rather keep streaming directly from our website at falconrytold.com, please feel free to do so also, whatever you prefer. And thank you very much, as always, to Marshall Radio Telemetry for helping to make this production possible. For more information on the most carefully engineered and reliable tracking system available, their GPS system, just head to marshallradio.com for more information, as well as other information on their other great telemetry products. Okay, now it's time for the second part of our special two-part episode this week. I give you all Anne Price. Enjoy. Okay, we are live and three two and one you're already laughing that's so awesome <laughs> um and how are we doing it's been a great week yeah. having fun here at the nafa meet in great bend kansas yeah yeah well i mean you said you didn't get a chance to get out this morning unfortunately because of all the snow and everything but uh what were you planning on doing initially uh we actually had intended to uh meet a landowner at his uh office here in town and then we were going to go out and look for some pheasants okay and my bird's just working up to that because i fly him off the fist okay uh it just you know bad timing with the weather but that's falconry and that's anapha meat so yeah it's and, <laughs> and just life in general exactly uh, yeah. you can't plan anything or or everything i should say and we had a, a good chase yesterday so no complaints awesome cool well what are you currently flying i'm flying a um chamber raised fourth season tiersel germato oh okay Oh, very nice. Well, yeah, he's a small one. He's running about, flying at about, well, he was about 450 grams last season. Now he's probably 460, 465, and I know he'll be heavier um, than that by the end of the year. Well, that was bigger than the um, than the, the male prairie that I was that was flying earlier, trying to you know train early this season before he uh, before he died, unfortunately. But uh, oh. but yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, that's falconry too, right? That's but, what I tell people yeah. when they say Germato, a male, how big is he? I said he's basically Tiersel Prairie size. Right, right. Well, he he was he was flying, you know, in like the four ten to four fifteen 
range somewhere around there. So he was pretty small tiercel for, right. for, for a prairie too. But, uh, so, um, I really haven't gotten much of a chance to, um, kind of experience any, any of those kind of hybrid flights. I mean, I've seen a couple other types of hybrids fly, um, the hybrid Falcons, I should specify. Yeah. Well, I've seen some hybrid gosses too, of course, cause that's all the, the goofy, uh, guys around where I live decide that they want to hunt is those silly goshawks and everything. <laughs> but, uh, um, so, I mean, how has the, um, the, the Germato, um, deal worked out for you? I mean, has well, it been- it's, it's been a really interesting learning experience. Um, the one thing I have figured out and that I've been telling folks is they take three years to grow up okay. just like a deer falcon. Okay. He is such a different bird now. Uh, he turned three in May, so it's his fourth season. He's such a different bird now than he has been the last couple of seasons. Initially, when I when I got him, I was looking for something just a little bit bigger than a Merlin to fly at dairies and feedlots because mm-hmm. I flew passage Merlins for about 14, 15 years, and I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I still love Merlins. They will always be, always be my favorite falcon. But mm-hmm. um, in Colorado where I fly, um, we have our migrants showing up by the middle of October. Um, sometimes I've seen them as early as September 30th and they, they are just so aggressive and so territorial. Um, over all the years of the adventures and misadventures and close calls I've had flying Merlins, the number one problem has been from other Merlins, Uh wild Merlins. And I just, I just got tired of my bird getting beat up. I've never flown a Jack. I've only flown uh, females, not necessarily by intention. It's just yeah, kind of how it worked or out. Or whatever. Yeah. No, no, I would love to fly a little jack someday. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, I've had my Merlins come back to the glove or the lure with their, you know, number nine primary sticking straight up, <laughs> um, you know, feet cut, tarsi cut, face cut, sear mm-hmm. from tangling. And it just got really, really frustrating. And the best bird I ever had... I uh, nearly lost in February, uh, got chased by just this vicious jack that showed up and established his territory. And I drove around for an hour and a half without even a signal. Jeez. And I thought she was, you know, here in Kansas. It was very windy <laughs> and it was just a miracle. I think she learned to recognize my truck. Mm-hmm. And we were just doing these circles around each other and finally intersected. <laughs> so I just got tired of that. I said, if I, I was looking for a, a Perlin or a Jeer Merlin, you know, the world's most losable bird, <laughs> as I've heard them describe. And when this fellow came along, I initially started flying him like a giant Merlin. And he seemed to like that. He was sitting on the backs of cows, you know, baby stuff, trying to figure everything out. We did okay our first season. Um, Second season, he kind of slowed down on the starling thing. And one thing I figured out pretty early on is eventually the large flocks started to overwhelm him. And he never wanted to go after pigeons at my facility. Hmm. and we didn't have many. We had a flock that would be from like five to 15 individuals, and you would hardly ever see them all together at the same time. I would just have zillions of starlings. And it was a dairy operation, not a feedlot. And, um, but in the field, um, training, baggy or behind a tree, a buddy, a game launcher, as I tell people, we could have launched an iguana and he would have gone after it. You know, <laughs> pigeon, you know, chucker. Uh, he loves them, but he he likes those single flights. Mm-hmm. So 
I last season, which was his third, about a third of the way into, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm done with the bird thing. This is too frustrating. He's sitting and not making productive attack runs. So I said, you know what, I'm going to switch to rabbits. And I hadn't spoken to a lot of people that had flown um, pure Peruvian Oplomatos, which is what his mom is. Okay. Um, he's His dad is a silver jerkin, and his mom is a Peruvian Oplo. But I do know that the female Peruvians are running at about the 350 gram range, and they can take cottontails because they're so good at that direct low ground, you know, bushwhacking pursuit mm. kind of stuff. Gotcha. Kind of like almost exhibitorish in, in, a, in a falcon kind of way, though. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So he did really well on, 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 on baggy rabbits last season. And so now we're chasing. Okay. And it's still a matter of, of, of muscling him up. And, but he still loves birds, too. Mm-hmm. So honestly, we're all over the map right now. But he's returning to my fist so nicely. Some of his wandering jeer stuff and quirks seem to have um, vanished. They are both really social species. And um, even though I freely admit he's most not the most accomplished game hawk, and that's, I'm sure, my issue. Because mm-hmm. as you know, in the sport, you get out of a bird the time that you put into it. Sure. Yeah. Um, he's just really friendly, really easygoing, travels well. Um, he's a great little dude, and I still think he's got a tremendous amount of potential. Well, and, and you do your best to um, to get birds that are, um, you know, that have good genetics behind them and, and all that. You know, sometimes you just, you know, end up with a bird that's just naturally a lot more gamey than other birds. And, and yeah, I mean, you... There, there's birds that I mean I've seen guys that that only fly you know certain birds on weekends and have amazing birds and I've also seen guys that have tried their their darndest to, to fly a bird you know five six times almost every day of the week and the bird still just isn't that great of a bird too so I mean unfortunately sometimes you just end up with a kind of a lame duck of a <laughs> of, of a bird at times too you know yeah and i'm i'm so stubborn and take the long view i always think it's not the bird it must be me mm-hmm. it must be me well, you know, why it, isn't he doing this anymore he you know he spent a season and a half chasing starlings doing well but even then his style and hunting technique was totally different mm-hmm. than a merlin and you know i i i get that so in you know in my mind he's smart he's smart as heck and the one thing this week which has been awesome with the wind is that he's done extremely well in it. I have flown him in higher winds this week than I ever, ever would back home in Colorado, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 22 plus. And yeah. I mean, some birds just won't fly in it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, have you like in his first couple of seasons or so, I mean, what was it mainly just the starlings that you tried to, to concentrate flying them on though? I mean, did you pretty much just try and, and keep him on the one type of prey Yes. Or um, did you find that that was the best approach for him, though? I mean, just getting focused so. on. I thought so. And I, I'm still not sure this had anything to do with it. You know, uh, got him in September, started hawking him first part of November, um, caught his first starling uh, first part, middle of December. I don't really remember. And we were rocking it, you know, going just fine. And then in the middle third week, whatever, of January. So this is January of his first season. um, he caught a starling and then got trampled by a bunch of cows. Oh. His technique, and I'd seen this with his first catch, oh. was to 
out climb it or climb above it and mm-hmm. then drive it to the ground okay. and, and pin it there. He wasn't aerial enough, especially as a baby, to figure out how to catch it in the air. And I think what happened, and again, dairy operation, if it's frozen, that's great. If it's not, it can be, you know, eight, nine, ten inches of muddy manure. Mm-hmm. And he drove it into the ground and it may have been a, you know, a puddle and a hoof print or what in a pen. And it was just the perfect Murphy's Law storm of of bad things happening. I, I had the signal, but it seemed to keep on moving. And mm-hmm. because of the way the pens are arranged, and again, I know it really well. I know where I can get in and where I can't, the, the chutes and the fences to climb. Well, I went into this one area that never has any animals in it, sort of a, a taxiway, if you will, between pens, and there was a bull in there. which there hardly ever is. So bottom line is it took me a long time to find him. And thank God I had my buddy with me who heard him kind of, you know, squeak or call. Mm -hmm. And he looked like he had been thrown in a bucket of oil. He looked like a cormorant stuck in an oil slug. (laughs) It was so bad. He just, he had a bruise on his uh, left elbow. And um, he had what I thought was a minor just like a paper cut kind of thing at the top of his um, tarsus, right where the feathers start. Well, manure, that got completely infected. Uh, Three days on, it swelled up. He couldn't stand. So, I mean, thank goodness he was alive, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't even wash him until the next day because he was so wet and so cold. I started him on Medicam immediately. Mm -hmm. It just... Oh, poor little guy. So I had to raise his week, and we lost five weeks. Mm-hmm. Raised his weight. Raise his weight. We lost five weeks in that season. And the other thing that happened um, is he started screaming because I was feeding him twice a day on three different yeah. medications. I told people, I said, you know, it's like a, a teenager suddenly breaking a leg and being bedridden, and mm. suddenly their mama's all up in their business having to help them to the bathroom and help them to get dressed. Nobody wants that. Right. But unfortunately, a couple years on, that has mostly subsided. But honestly, I'm not sure, with exception maybe of a couple more flights later in that season, I don't know if he ever, ever went after starlings again with that much gusto. Well, I mean, it's understandable. That's what everybody says. And it's like, is he smart enough to realize, you know, that cows are dangerous and this is not what he wants to do? Maybe. Well, and, and, you know, like I said, there's there's some birds that I think learn a lot quicker and a lot more readily than than others. Because, I mean, I've I've had encounters with birds before that you're just like, why why would you ever want to do that? You know, and then you would think that, getting the crap bitten out of your foot would maybe teach you maybe that you don't want to go after that kind of stuff anymore right but but other birds they just they don't care they'll they'll go after cats or whatever no he is definitely smart even here this week you know flying on a property he found a nice high um i don't want to say it was a grain silo but it seemed to be like the very top part of a silage barn or a hay barn Mm -hmm. almost looked like a church but obviously it was ag and he sat up there once, and he saw a pheasant running, and he went down in a thick cover, winged over. Of course, it popped up and got away from him, mm-hmm. but then he turned around, and he went right back up there. And mm-hmm. then the next day, we just could not fly near those buildings because he had that spot, and he knew it, and he wanted to go mm-hmm. back, and I'm trying to keep him on my fist. Yeah. And the Oplo in him, that's been the actually, honestly, John, the most interesting thing. His first couple seasons— 
I never know which bird is going to show up. The jeer falcon that's just going to want to leave mm -hmm. at some point and go on walkabout. Right. Or the oplo that's going to run around on the ground and crash into the bush like a crazy person. Mm -hmm. So that's been very interesting and, yeah. and challenging and, and at times frustrating, but at other times really fun and yeah. cool. Well, and I know other guys. I mean, there, there's a couple of the guys that I know that have uh, have tried Germatos before. And for whatever reason, they just didn't end up liking the flight style because they could train them to kind of stoop to some degree or whatever the case may be, but they would want to kind of tail chase. And that's fine with me. It's yeah. what each species naturally does in mm -hmm. the wild. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but you know, for whatever reason, it's just not the kind of style that, you know, they're looking for. With, looking for whatever. And, and I, you know, I haven't, I've never, I've not gotten a chance to really see a, um, um, an Apple fly in person. Unfortunately, it's something I would like to see. Um, and my, I mean, to be perfectly honest, aside from, from the ones that the like the prairie that I trained earlier and the one that I'm trying to man down right now, I really have not gotten to see a lot of the bigger types of long wings fly. So it's really hard for me to kind of process, you know, whenever people um, have these certain preferences, you know, at times of what they like or don't like about some of these certain birds, especially these hybrids. Um, because I mean, I haven't even seen the full versions of each bird, right, you know, right. fly, I haven't seen you know? the pure versus right, right, the mutt. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, if some, if someone says, you know, well, I mean, there's more of the, the, the jeer, this, that, or the other, you know, kind of like the whole walkabout thing. I mean, I, I've heard the same thing about jeers and, and stuff too, but I mean, it's so, so it's fascinating to me whenever, um, I hear different falconers perspectives on, on how these different species of birds fly mainly for me because I haven't got to see many of them fly in person yet. And so it's it's hard for me to kind of wrap my hand or my, my head around it, but you know, I still think it's interesting regardless. Um, and and it's been a learning experience for me. And as again, with the birds not doing what I wanted to, my natural instinct is to assume that I'm I'm giving it a confusing message. I'm not being consistent mm -hmm. or I'm asking it to do something that it's not naturally instinctively wanting to do or has not been conditioned right. you know you're not going to ask a kestrel to stoop after a duck right exactly well, yeah for sure it may yeah. find it very interesting like like jacks mm. we've had a few jack bursts off the fists i think mm. it would be an exaggeration to call them chases mm. um two weeks ago in Colorado, you know, it got up and it's just brown and you're going and ho, ho, ho. And it ran about eight feet to a fence and stopped. And he was so tiny, Jack didn't even view him as a threat. Mm -hmm. So he gets there and it's like, well, what are we doing? And he's hovering. So that long tail, he's got the upload to do that. And the Jack's like, oh, please. And just scooted along mm -hmm. the fence. And <laughs> my bird was, whoa, what was that? And he landed on the fence post. So he'll jump off because it's the burst of the fur but he clearly wants no part of it, which is fine. I don't want him thinking he needs to be taken for a ride, have anything to do with the jack. Sure. Cottontails, he's he's good at as long as obviously they don't make it to a hole or pry his feet off in cover. Mm. So um, I want him to be safe. Well, and, and the other little um, aspect of all that stuff, too, is you're, you're specifically kind of talking about the behavior of a, of a chamber-raised bird also. I mean, not even getting into the imprint. You know, oh, okay. stuff, you know, I mean, and, and uh, I mean, I've flown birds that that have been um, imprints that you just you wish that they weren't that dumb. Yeah. But but, you know, the, the aftermath, if it works out, OK, it's a cool story. But 
Um, getting through the baby phase getting through that you know that that initial terror of (laughs) of having to deal with hawk falcon whatever you know getting these birds to do what you want without just being overly just well i mean just ignorant (laughs) about what they're dealing with sometimes it's just it's, it's it's very stressful so i can imagine especially you know these hybrids when they're not cheap birds you know i mean you're 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 investing a lot of time to you want to be successful but you also want to be successful within reason also and yeah you, you, you don't want to have you know a borderline heart attack every it, time you go out to exactly. fly, your, fly your bird yeah exactly so it's supposed to be fun yeah this it's entire a, endeavor it's supposed to be supposed yeah. to be fun i used to tell people that i was in a happy rut i was in a very happy rut with my Rollins and it was just and it was it was all good but then the last one i had was kind of running hot and cold mm-hmm. the the wild birds at the dairy were getting worse and then the other thing that happened were cats Ugh, i would yeah. see one maybe every couple of years and it was more and more than i could tell they were reproducing and honestly now there's so many at the facility i i'm not sure even if i had the best merlin in the world um, and there were no wild migrants setting up winter feeding territories. I'm not sure I'd feel safe flying a, a Merlin there right now. It's It really is unfortunate just how out of control the whole cat thing has become for, for our country. And, I mean, I know it's even worse in other countries like Australia. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it, it's—I it's, I really wish that people were a little bit more— conscientious of, of the whole cat issue you know keeping their cats inside absolutely and, and the american but. bird conservancy does a very good campaign ab- about that and you know to some extent i i don't i mean i mind it for me personally but in terms of the operation of this 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 dairy farm you know they want to keep the rats down both mm-hmm. they've got big some big norway rats and they have obviously you know deer mice field mice um house mice that type of thing um and the i don't think anybody feeds the cats or does anything at all you know to support them but between the hay and enough shelter or maybe there's a worker putting out a dish of water they they have certainly multiplied in the last you know three or four years yeah um and it's a different issue in people's backyards where they're clearly house pets and they could be kept indoors and they're perfectly well fed with good veterinary care but they just wander outside and they're bringing home songbirds and amphibians and herps and um and being exposed to other diseases themselves well i was shocked you know a, a buddy of mine was was telling me about a study that he read where they they basically did um like it's basically a rabies centric study mm. and you know i was kind of shocked to hear that actually you know it's, these feral cats are like you know one of the top if not the top carriers of, of rabies you know like they, they they're just so um it's just so prevalent with them and i mean it makes sense i mean there's just there's become there's just so many of them out there yeah and, and they're fighting with each other and mm-hmm. and raccoons and occasionally stray dogs mm-hmm. um skunks you yeah. know other wild native wild mammals sure yeah i mean i just i what what drives me nuts and look i'm i'm not going to sit here and and uh wish undue harm on on any animal yeah. or anything americans but, love their cats yeah. people love their cats yeah but yeah. But it drives me nuts whenever they'll pick up these feral cats, I'll spay or neuter them or whatever, and then they'll just put them right back out where they found them. <laughs> it's very like, controversial I, to do otherwise. Yeah, I know, I know. But it's just, you know, gosh. It, I mean, they're, they're, the bottom line is they're, they're an invasive species. And, you know, I, I wish that we had a better way of, of dealing with that. 
Yeah. I guess like so many things, it's education. Yeah. Education, education, and you know the veterinary and animal community does I think what they can in terms of spay and neuter and sure and and that that type of thing. But um, yeah, I know you know plenty of Merlin flyers who have lost our Merlin to to a cat. Sure. Yeah, in a in a well, feedlot, you know, dairy I'm, type situation, either with or without Corey. Usually the Merlin was down on a sparrow or a starling, mm -hmm. and then was ambushed. Well, and if and if not a Merlin, I mean, there's so many guys that have lost fox too, just to cat bites and just yes. that dying overnight from from the you know from sepsis, infection, sepsis, yeah. and and yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but you know. Well, speaking of education, I mean, I mean, I know you you've been here pretty much this week, set up the vendor booths here at NAFA. What exactly um, have you been doing? I know I know you have a background with education, and could you kind of go in a little bit more about what your role is and all that? Yeah, well, when I'm not hawking, I've been with the Raptor Education Foundation now for over 30 years, and <laughs> kind of hard to believe. Um, <laughs> I uh, I'm the curator. So we have uh, 28 raptors right now. We've had up to 31, and we don't do any rehab. It's just um, education and a little bit of research. So I work with rehabbers around the country, and we receive birds that are non-releasable. We have had and have a couple um, ex-falconry birds as well, especially um, peregrines that are past their prime and flying or and either are done breeding, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, last month or so, uh, we have a new coloring book out. It's not a short, simple story. Fortunately, mm -hmm. we have time. Um, the original text was written by Francis Hammerstrom back okay. in 1985. Um, and it was the first coloring book on American raptors available in the United States mm -hmm. for an American audience, for kids. And the illustrations were done by Don Malik who was a preparator and artist and you know field you know artist illustrator working for the denver museum of nature and science and he and the founder of the raptor education peter reshetnik actually met in botswana and they were working on this last uh, one of the last big american expeditions to go over to africa collect a bunch of animals and then put them in a hall on mm -hmm. in dioramas so um, the Denver Museum of Nature and Science ones is uh, Botswana. And um, Dawn has done a huge set of African raptors as well. You've probably, if you've seen anything with good illustrations on African raptors on Quarry, you've probably seen some of his work. But unfortunately, he was dying of throat cancer while he was completing these drawings. Oh. And so he's been gone quite a long time. Um, and a lot of people your generation and younger don't know his work. If you have the National Geographic Field Guide, the one with the bald eagle and the painted bunting and the great blue heron on it, um, one of the standards, one version had the little thumb tabs, the little half moons, you know. Okay. He did all the woodpeckers in there, all the owls and most of the raptors. So birds of North America or raptors of North America mm -hmm. and then uh, published by an outfit in Boulder, Colorado. And then in 2001, 2002, I was asked to completely rewrite the text and expand it, which we did. And so then the, the book was in print continuously for 34 years Okay. and um, went out of print. I believe they all got sold and vanished um, 2016, I think. University of New Mexico Press in, it press in Albuquerque picked it up. So this is now the third generation, third version of this book. I rewrote about a third of the text 
from what I did in 01, 02, talk about NAFA, the origins of falconry, added a whole new page about raptors in the 21st century, because a lot has changed, especially since 2001. I mean, bald eagle, peregrine falcon are both off the endangered species list. Mm -hmm. We have cooper's hawks through the roof. Kestrels are still declining. So there's all sorts of you know, information. And coloring is such a therapeutic, popular pastime now for adults. Mm -hmm. And um, so I love the fact that they put the male American kestrel on the cover. It's, you know, it's bright, it's attractive. And like I say in the intro, I think raptors are a good first bird for kids wanting to learn about nature and learn about birds. They are big and they are slow. They stay there for a few minutes, unlike a warbler or you know, a finch that zits it, it's in a bush and it's gone. Right. You know, as speaking um, of the uh, the whole kestrel issue, you know, I live in southern Indiana, and mm -hmm. we keep hearing about the declines in in the numbers for that particular species. And it's and it's hard for us to wrap our head around sometimes that those numbers are declining. You know, in other parts of the country, because I mean, we, luckily we haven't really seen it so much uh, in our area. Do, do you have a, a little bit more insight that goes into well, why? Well, I've been, you know, following the American Kestrel Project through the Peregrine Fund, of course. Mm -hmm. And if you look a lot of their, at a lot of their regional studies, and even with the Raptor Research Foundation, they've had a couple of, you know, meetings and gatherings and tons of papers about the decline. Um, because here in Denver, or back in Denver since we're in Kansas, um, <laughs> I'm not seeing a decline either. You know, the mm -hmm. route I would drive to get out to my, you know, the dairy. See a dozen same, of them. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would say honestly trending, you know, six months out of the year, September to March, same amount of kestrels I'm seeing now as I saw in 2002, 2005. But from what I have read in other parts of the country, it's it's a multiplicity of causes like and frankly in parts of the um upper midwest the great lakes there are some places where they were attributing the decline to the increase in cooper's hawks okay i think uh the um i'm not sure if it was exactly through the raptor center at you know university of minnesota or it was kind of sponsored or you know worked with them they had some kestrels placed throughout the campus Six of them hacked out. All six were killed and eaten by Cooper's hawks. Jeez. Yeah, so definitely an issue there. And other places, it's habitat loss. There's no bugs for them to eat. The open fields and edges are just being plowed into parking lots and apartments and things like that. Mm -hmm. I've seen some other studies where they wonder if it's noise as freeways are widened from four lanes to six lanes hmm. and those edges there's the the proximity of the noise the pervasive noise to trees or buildings or anywhere where there might be their cavity nest causes a decline in productivity uh, productivity pesticides even if they're not outright killing bugs they're reducing the numbers of insects available and it just depends on where in the united states the little guys are. Um, I'd read one study where they put, I think, boxes up in orchards of some kind. It may be even been a vineyard, and then they compared the productivity to um, boxes in more urban environments where there was more light pollution past sunset, where there was more noise, typical human activity. Okay. And there did not seem to be 
much of a difference in how many eggs were laid, how many eggs hatched, how many ba babies fledged. Mm -hmm. You know, again, the I, what I tell people, if you really, really want to know about Kestrels, you got to go to AKP and Dr. Uh, Dr. Sarah Schulwitz, I think is how you pronounce her name, and the crew up there, because they're the ones with really the long-term data. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to see Kestrels here in Kansas, because yeah. I have to tell you, I went to South Carolina for the first time in April, and I had to fly into Atlanta. I picked the weekend of the Masters Golf Tournament. I had no idea. I was visiting a friend. <laughs> so I drove three hours from Atlanta, across the Savannah River, into northwestern South Carolina, round trip. I didn't see a single kestrel in either trip. Wow. Black vultures, turkey vultures, red-shouldered hawks, red tails, all sorts of weird unidentifiable dead things on the road, but not a single kestrel and plenty hmm. of what I would have considered outstanding habitat too. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just, that's so weird. Most and I love little falcons oh, too. I, well, so I I, too. I'm I mean, always looking for them. And especially yeah. out here, is that a kestrel or a merlin? Is that yeah. a merlin or a prairie? Yeah. I'm always yeah. looking. I think most falconers are. Yeah. I mean, me, I, I love spotting kestrels and I mean, a merlin is still like one of the next main things that I want to, that I want to fly. Um, you know, I've flown, like I said, a couple of kestrels now. Um, and I think most people that have flown kestrels, especially have had run-ins with coops and, um, you know, that whole shebang. It's like I mean, flying a pizza pocket. Yep. Everybody out there wants to eat you. Hot pocket. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I get you. But I mean, it's not funny. It's terror. It's like Jurassic Park out there. I can't tell you the number of species I've had come after my Merlins. Yeah. I mean, what can you do? It is, it is, it is what it is. It's just another one of those unfortunate, um, you know, just unfortunate side effects of, of what we, uh, <laughs> yeah. of what we do. And the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, this sport, I tell you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. But, uh, so, I mean, you've, you've, you love Merlins and, um, you know, you've, you've flown obviously different, what, what other species have you flown? And, um, you know, we, we usually kind of normally get into people's stories of how they get into yeah. the sport and everything a little bit. You know, what did you, what I did you experience to get into it? I had an extremely non-traditional, funky, weird start into this, this sport. Um, when I was about 11, my great aunt who never married and is a story in and of itself. Her, she was living in Honolulu when Pearl Harbor, oh. Pearl Harbor was bombed. Um, she sent me, she knew I loved animals, loved animals my whole life, um, but had bad allergies. And she sent me a book called Gifts of an Eagle. Hmm. Not very many people have heard about it. It is a true story of a man named Kent Durden and his adult son who got permission from the state of California in the 50s to take a golden eagle out of the wild and raise it. And they were falconers, and it is this story. Um, they named her Lady. It's called Gifts of an Eagle, as I said, and it's this just narrative of their adventures and misadventures with this bird. So they talked about the falconry equipment and how they kind of trained her and sort of taught her to hunt. And eventually she started laying eggs, and eventually they gave her chickens and ducks to raise and then red-tailed hawks. And eventually they got permission from, a, again, from the state um, prior to all the federal regs and everything being in place now to get a golden eagle chick to allow her to raise and foster. And eventually they, um, they released her. She would soar. She was sort of hacked out. This is somewhere in Southern California. And um, she kind of self-released and they knew it was coming because there was a male courting her in the area and off they went. Anyway, I just read that and I just, as everybody says, something in my brain 
clicked and I was I I was hooked. I l always had loved animals, really loved horses, but to this day I'm still deathly allergic to them. Um, and about the time I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, in what is now some of the most expensive real estate in the entire country, just on the very northern edge of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And there was just this awesome, amazing wildlife park called Marine World Africa USA. It was what you would consider a small zoo, except it was very, very few animals in cages. It was built on the southern end of the Bay Area with the natural bay estuary that they turned into sort of like a tour where you could ride these big raft boats around and see animals free roaming in these, you know, fenced landscapes that were bordered on the back by service rope, but in the front by the lagoon. And of course they were fenced. So we had the African veld and we had the Asian steppe and we had Tiger Island and the raptors were just one stop on the end of that tour and it was just they were under a big shade structure and they were sitting there on perches and that was that well about the time i got this book um circa 1979-80 they renovated that entire raptors on perches exhibit and made a spray foam mountain this was the start of all the flying programs that we now take for granted if we go to the San Diego Zoo Safari Park or St. Louis Zoo or Bush Gardens, anything like that. And mm -hmm. they had the little cubby holes where raptors could fly into and go out. So they started doing that. And they would have the handlers come over across the lagoon because the audience would stand uh -huh. to bring a red tail or something after and talk. And I just, I, I wanted to be around them. I just thought they were the coolest things in the world. And I started checking out books on falconry. And I finally asked if... I could volunteer there on the weekends. I was 12 years old, hmm. you know, and I didn't even think they would let me touch a bird. I just <laughs> wanted to be around them uh -huh. and learn how to take care of them and learn how they ate and just behaved. And, and, um, after about two weeks, I, the amazing thing is that they said, yes, I think about this all the time is that in today's society with insurance and liability, liability, yeah. liability mm -hmm. absolutely. There's no kid that ever would have been able to allow to do this it, yeah. now. Which is unfortunate. It is because, you know, two weeks two weeks later, they put this really sweet old fat red tail on my fist. Um, her optic nerve had been severed by a gunshot wound, but she still had both eyes intact. And that was it. Oh, man, bird <laughs> on the fist. That, that was it. I picked up my first golden eagle at 16. We had a funky collection of of some african raptors as well i dabbled a little bit in the lions and tigers and snakes and it was just it was just the best way for a kid to grow up kind of kept me out of the malls and you know i remember when you did lauren mcgow's interview talking about being sort of an awkward kid that liked you know snakes and animals and stuff that most girls didn't mm -hmm. that was me that was totally me i could totally relate and the other thing that was great though honestly because we had a couple of you know young and we were all girls um a friend of mine was also doing this everybody else were adults who had to be 18 to work with the animals and have a paid job but we just birds of prey kind of just had these little volunteers so i worked with around with and around adults kind of my whole teenage life and just watching how they trained the animals, dealt with them, just the professional ways they were shown and managed, dealing with the public, education. It really just set me down this path. 
So in terms of falconry, there was one of the um, one of the land animal keepers was a falconer, and I wanted to eventually get my license. I knew I didn't have time to hunt my bird, but a bird. But the rules in California were just way different back then. You could have a license, not have a bird, but still serve out an apprenticeship. So hmm. my facilities were a spare chamber at Marine World. And this guy had a Cooper's Hawk and he agreed to sponsor me. He knew I was working with Raptors and learning what I needed to know. And um, yeah, I actually got my license the month of Operation Falcon. Oh, wow. Yeah, just probably a couple weeks before that all broke loose. Wow, that was uh, interesting timing then. Yes. Well, how did, I mean, how did that affect you? I mean, I the... really did not hear very much about it at all. Really? Honestly, I, I joined the California Hawking Club uh-huh. and went to my first meet in 85 okay um and i heard a bit about it then again pre-internet right and right. you know gee sats trying to get into college yeah. high school <laughs> it's not like i was sitting there watching yeah. the evening news with dan rather or right, whatever that right. you know every night right and um yeah but starting going to meets and seeing other people with their birds and meeting other falconers and seeing how this is really done people that actually held birds and hunted birds and possessed them and flew them and but I mean, I got to meet John Moran at his studio in Santa Cruz one one day. Um, we were sort of taking a trip, and um, got to hear Morley Nelson talk at one of these CHC meets. And the, and the California guys will remember the early days of the meets in Los Banos. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I didn't actually have my own bird until um, I moved back to Colorado. After I was married, when my husband was still in the Air Force mm. in the mid '90s, so. but I was still continuously working with dozens of species of raptors, and you know, and flying in in demonstration type situations, right, you know, Harris right. hawks and red tails, and we had a long crested um, African eagle, it was just awesome, and a great horned owl, and so. So yeah, it was <laughs> very very much. Uh... <laughs> Um, <laughs> a Heinz 57 of, of birds, so to speak. Very much so. <laughs> and, and, and I was talking to somebody about this, you know, a couple of years ago. To me, falconry has always been sort of this globe of skills. Uh-huh. Um, yes, knowing how to hunt is critical. And that's what falconry is. But I very much believe that husbandry and behavior and ecology and um, how you present it to the public is as important as well you're not going to be able to hunt your bird if it's not in good feather it's not going to be in good feather if its nutrition isn't good and you don't understand what it needs anatomy physiology all that stuff so i kind of learned all that stuff first i did not grow up hunting mm-hmm. and this is another thing when people, I, I didn't either yeah then yeah. when people ask how did you get into this i i still believe generally speaking broad you know generalization that most women get into falconry because they have encountered raptors and been exposed to them through other means Mm -hmm. either through education or rehab Mm -hmm. that's how they get their start in raptors and they love them they fall in love that thing goes crazy in their brain they're like i want to do this i want to work with a red tail with two good eyes and two good wings and can fly and really catch that rabbit but they may have never hunted and whereas i think a lot of men you're clearly the exception though that proves Mm -hmm. my rule Mm -hmm have grown up hunting and fishing and have had that outdoor life and it was expected and their their fathers and brothers or whatever did it they grew up in a hunting family 
and then one day coming back, you know, maybe with their dog, they've been pheasant hunting or duck hunting, and they see another truck that kind of looks like it could be one of their people, but instead of the guy putting a gun in the back, they're feeding a hawk on their fist, and mm-hmm. they start talking, it's like, well, sure, I hunt, but I use a gun, and you mean I could do this, or I've seen it in a book, and that's how they get into falconry they are already hunters and they yeah. know field craft and they know their quarry they just don't know raptors sure sure i mean then and, and uh i definitely would probably be one of the one of the the smaller percentage of, of guys you'll probably meet that that or were the kind of that rare exception so you, know, you didn't I, grow up hunting as knew, you said knew, fishing no well i mean occasionally um you know i mean i fell into a couple lakes with my dad when i was a kid <laughs> You know, <laughs> right of passage. Yeah, and, and here, I've, son, you're going to yeah. do this. You know, it's it's just it's ironic um, in a lot of ways um, how my path is kind of um, kind of migrated towards falconry because I mean I I just basically discovered that it was even a thing through mutual musician friends and um, so I mean like I said I, I covered that in the in the episode I did with Vaughn um, but um, but. Yeah, I mean, it's mo- mo- you're right. Most guys do get into it because they have a strong hunting background. And because of that, somehow or another, they just innately somehow run into it. Kind of right. like, like you said. Or, you know, they either meet somebody in that parking lot or they're, they're in a, you know, in a deer, uh, deer stand, tree stand, whatever. They're out there doing their thing and they see a raptor make a kill or mm-hmm. a near miss. Mm-hmm. And they're out there getting that bird's eye front row seat to nature mm-hmm. and it's they're just in the right place in the right time they've been at may have been hunting out there for 10 years never seen anything like that mm-hmm. and what kind of bird was that that was the coolest thing and you know it was a hawk it was the size of a red tail hawk and the rabbit was screaming but its eyes were white and i didn't <laughs> see that red tail feather and they just and it's it's great yeah yeah well and uh, I mean, did you grow up doing anything else other than, than that? And very you're, creative. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I started working with raptors, my, my sketching, I love to draw and mm-hmm. went from horses to, to eagles, hawks, certainly, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Right. Uh, did play the piano, did play the piano, danced ballet. As a matter of fact, I kind of pretty much gave up ballet because I wanted to spend more time with the birds. And mm. also there were boys. And, nah. you know, and, you know, if you're dancing for afternoons a week after school, there's no time for anything else. And, mm-hmm. and like we were talking about last night, mm-hmm. I accompanied the choir in, in high school. So just the voices and the music. And I love that. And, and my son picked up the piano. My daughter plays the cello. So that was... Yeah, and, um, you know, one of my dear friends that, you know, passed away about 18 months ago, Ken Mesh, we all knew and loved, you know, former mountain director, was a heck of a guitarist, had a beautiful voice. And a lot of guys, you know, if they don't have a, a, a falcon or a bird on their fist, they got an instrument of some kind in their hand. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, heard you talk about this in the podcast before, because mm-hmm. I think just the entire, that's why I call it the art of falconry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes into making a hood. I mean, yes, there's function and it has to fit the bird's face, but there's this amazing aesthetic and you watch, you look at some of the old, you know, John Moran hoods and the carvings and I mean, totally unnecessary. Sure. The bird does not care what, are, no, but no. for us, I mean, just, just magnificent. And they're just mm-hmm. such magnificent biological works, works of art in the first place. Just everything we do, you know, and I, I braid my own, um, equipment. 
that and coping birds are my two really sort of <laughs> core falconry skills. Mm-hmm. I have made one hood in my life. It was extremely hard. I do not ever need to make another one again. I, I can't yeah. weld. Yeah. I have minimal use of drills, but you know, I see leash and it's like, oh, the size, the weight, the color. And you know, like I tell people, I'm like, dark forest green looks awesome <laughs> on hair socks <laughs> and peregrines. Yeah. So yeah. it just... If you're passionate about your bird and what you're doing, most of us really like the good, cool-looking gear or stuff mm-hmm. that's just very functional and, you know. I, I've become a little bit of a hood junkie myself. I mean, I, <laughs> it's I really— expensive. It, uh, well, habit. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it can be. It can be for <laughs> sure. I mean, it's it just like— you know, and I and I love collecting original art too. Mm. And I've I've gotten to the point where I've become such a snob with it. I don't even like buying prints anymore. I don't even care if it was number one to fifty or whatever. I just I don't really like prints. If I can't have the original, like the original sketch, drawing, or or oil painting or whatever, then I would just assume just admire it from afar and not have it. I uh, totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. The Merlin page in mm-hmm. there. I have the original watercolor, which was the second choice. It's a jack eating a horned lark. Um, you have to look at the table of contents yeah, yeah, yeah. to find it. It's a jack eating a horned lark, and I have the original that was, you know, uh, uh, rejected. We wanted the one where the bird's face was up, and he was pausing between eating with a tuft of feather in his beak. And the one I have, yeah, it's a slightly different version. I. I'm really picky about how raptors look as well. I don't want it artistic. I want it accurate. I want it really, really <laughs> accurate with colors and yeah. It's a good one. Isn't that's, it that's nice? A good one. And yeah. I love it because it's in you know, Colorado Heartland, you know, fence posts, barbed wire with that horned lark. Um, I um, I'm lucky enough to count Vadim Gorbatov as one of my friends. Another book project I actually went to Russia in 2004. And then he came here to the U.S. in 2006. And so he's the one, and, and a lot of people don't know who he is, but everybody mm-hmm. knows, and it's here at the archives table, the big Kublai Khan hunt uh-huh. with the yeah. elephants uh-huh. and the thousands of falconers yeah, that, and the that... cheetah, everything. And there, in my opinion, there's literally no one else better in the world that draws and captures the intersection of humans and animals. I mean, and it's not just raptors. It's his eagles. It's his. It's his bears. It's his wolves. Mm-hmm. What he does and the amount of research he puts into his illustrations, they are so incredible. And I have a couple of his originals as well. And they're just these beautiful lyrical works of art. When when I took him to Wyoming and we went sage grouse hawking, and this was uh, November of '06, um, he had never seen coyotes. Or um, seen, I grew up in San Francisco, but I'm a girl of the West, and I say coyote instead of coyote. <laughs> he never seen pronghorn before. There is no equivalent of those animals in, in Russia. Wow. And he was just so enchanted. And the sketches he did in a spiral notebook with a ballpoint pen bouncing around in the back of my truck as we went looking for eagles and doing yeah. stuff, just amazing. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah, I'm 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 sure my stick figures would have looked amazing too. Yeah, if we were drawing if we were, you know, driving down the same road, you know, that just that that stick eagle and that stick, yeah, I I'm sure it would have been just as amazing, you know. <laughs> but uh no, I mean I Maybe I'm, better shocks in the yeah, car. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. no, he's always done field work. He's always yeah. he's always, you know, in the field. Yeah. And um and his son Andre is a is a photojournalist. 
takes amazing pictures and there's just he loves his research he loves his 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 research and so much research went into the composition of the Kublai Khan hunt because he was purely going on Marco Polo's description that's and he was trying to figure out the physics of how the great Khan would be carried around with 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 elephants and just the minute details in there and he loves goshawks he loves goshawks and in Moscow goshawks nest in the city mm-hmm. so a lot of his goshawk wars is stuff he observes out of his flat or studio window wow. goshawk zipping by over a playground between cars grabbing you know uh, a jackdaw or something like yeah. that or well, you, you just instantly chuff. made about three or four of my friends insanely jealous about as insanely jealous as i am of the fact that you have some of these originals i i i, I love original stuff like that i do but and uh, the people that can draw from sight versus a photo uh-huh. that really know their subject work or can do both yeah you know? yeah, yeah that, that sure. and as i said you know don as i said unfortunately was very sick mm-hmm. all those raptors he did in the coloring book he did from memory he did from his his work you know 10 15 20 years previously very cool very cool well well i mean before we close out here i mean can you go ahead and just um give people an idea of where they can pick up the book if they're interested in it or um Um, yeah uh, university of new mexico press okay um the raptors of north america a coloring book the title got long a coloring book of eagles hawks falcons and owls um it's also on Amazon. It's actually on Target too, which blew us away. Huh. Target.com. Yeah, we were shocked. Um, Barnes and Noble. Okay. Um, the Denver Museum of Nature and Science is carrying it, but honestly, University of New Mexico Press. And you know, the cool thing about them is that they're an academic press. They are also nonprofit. And unless you happen to be J.K. Rowling and write Harry Potter, children's <laughs> books don't make a lot of money right yeah. but they got an endowment from a lady uh, legacy gift who basically wanted her money used to publish books about nature and science for children okay things that would not necessarily make a lot of money and that's how you know this book um, under the umbrella this book you know came from and um yeah i mean Pick up a copy. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a very cool book. I've gotten a chance to kind of peruse it as we've been, Good. you know, kind of talking a bit and everything. And uh, yeah, it's it's very cool. And um, I, I'm I'm so glad that I got a chance to uh, run into you. And I'm I'm sorry that you've had to you know endure uh, you know Jenny for as long as you have oh. we, we won't uh, <laughs> and I yeah. haven't heard Jenny's up you know Jenny is a good friend of mine as I said <laughs> she started out as one of my volunteers and um, <laughs> we are patient with each other I call her my little I call her my little sister and uh, yeah it's no. uh, it's been great watching her get married and have her babies and um, you know she's got that great dog and honestly because I didn't do a lot of rabbit hawking growing up, and once I started actually hunting, I've learned a lot from Jenny, too. And I guess that's maybe probably the last thing I'd like to say. I think the term master falconer is the most oxymoronic phrase ever invented. Like, yeah. you ever master this sport. Yeah. you got to keep learning. Totally I'm learning agree. so much yeah. now, and I have been doing this now, messing with birds for 40 years. Yeah. And I love what I'm learning from Jenny and younger kids, whether it's, you know, 
how to put something on social media <laughs> correctly or not. Cough, cough. Yeah. Yes. Or just exactly. stay, off, stay off it as much as possible altogether. Yeah, yeah, which is why I'm not on Facebook. You know, you can find me at Raptor Education Foundation, see what we're doing there. And that's, that's, that's about as much Raptor presence as I'd, I'd like to have. But, um, you know, the twin passions, falconry and education, and really you got to do both because as Vicki Joseph said, Dr. Vicki Joseph in California, falconers are awesome. You guys are amazing. You do stuff that no one else can do with raptors. Mm. And we need to remember that and celebrate it as we move forward. Well, I completely agree. And it's been so cool getting to know you. Um, you know, this is this Great been a chat. very fun hour. So, um, you know, like I said, thank you for taking the time. And, um, My you know, pleasure, if, John. If, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I hope you um, are you taking off tomorrow then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm 90% packed because yeah. it's been snowing all day. So we got a great banquet and hear Dr. Yeah. Pat Reddick speak tonight. And Well, I will see you then. And um, in the meantime, I will let you get back to your packing. And uh, it's been Go a pleasure. Thank, thank you very much for giving me an hour. So been delightful. All right. Thank you. Thanks, John. All right, everyone, that brings our special 25th episode and two-part episode to a close this week, and I really hope that you guys enjoyed it and hope that it kind of made up for the lack of one last week. Really hope that you all have a happy Thanksgiving and enjoy the holiday weekend. Please stay safe and be sure to tune in, as always, next week. We'll have more great content um, in the following weeks from the NAFA meet and um, we got some really cool stuff coming up for you all so please stay tuned and in the meantime be safe take care and have a great weekend thank you all so much